I'm David Scandura. I'm Justice Burkett. And today we're here to find out, is Tootsie the greatest movie ever made? By threatening enough, how's this? You take your hands off me or I'm going to knee your balls right through the roof of your mouth. Is that enough of a threat? Welcome to The Greatest Movie Ever Made, the show where we watch a movie and tell you if it's the greatest movie ever made. I hate actors. <laughs> a movie that is so thoroughly entertaining and compelling that while you're watching it, it's the only thing that matters in the world. Yes, Justice, when I watched this movie, <laughs> I was like, I can't wait to talk to Justice about this character. I fucking, it's not only Michael Dorsey, I fucking hate actors in general. Um... <laughs> Listeners to this spot, if anyone's coming in for the first time on the Tootsie episode, I work in a local theater company. I also am an actor. I have a degree in theater performance. So, you know, when I say I hate actors, um, first of all, you know, it's, it's, it's somewhat facetious. But second of all, it's also not <laughs> because I know a lot of actors. I yeah. have met a lot of actors in my life. Um, and also, uh, I hate some of the actor tendencies in myself a lot of the time. <laughs> and when I say actor tendencies, uh, the thing that I hate so much about not just Michael Dorsey, but a few other characters in this movie, is it's like, they're they're always performing, right? It's like, and this is a thing, this is a real thing with actors. So I think the performances in this movie of these actors playing actors are actually pretty good because they're successfully doing a thing that actors do in real life, which is sometimes when an actor is having like an actual, genuine, human-to-human emotional moment with somebody, they then slip into acting territory, either consciously or unconsciously. And I fucking hate that shit. Anytime that happens to me when I'm like talking to like a fellow actor or whatever, I'm like, stop improving at me. Like, just be a human being to me for a second. Um, and one of the reasons I hate it so much is because it's a thing I've struggled with, right? And had to like consciously combat in my own life is be like, okay, like, let's not make this conversation a performance. Let's like actually like be real with each other. Um, so when I recognize it in other actors, both in real life and in movies, fucking drives me insane. Um, rant over. <laughs> in the in the words of Werner Herzog, we are all actors in the theater we make for ourselves. <laughs> I, I believe that uh, William Shakespeare also said something like that. Yeah, <laughs> there's a there's a quote that's you know just just on the tip of my tongue. Um, yeah, uh, welcome to the greatest movie ever, Mansplained, um, the show where uh, we talk about a movie that has uh, a bunch uh, to say about the female experience, uh, but stars uh, a man and is uh, written by a team of men and directed by a man. A man? A man. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, I'm David Scandera. I'm joined as always by my co-host and actor, who is more talented than Michael Dorsey is at the beginning of this movie because at least he was able to get a role as a dead body floating in a lake <laughs> on one episode of Westworld. Justice Burkett. Yeah, we're we your two white guy hosts talking about this movie. Yes. Well, to, to to be fair, this is a movie uh, created by white men and I think for white men, which I think is one of the problems with it. Sure. And, and we'll we'll get into. I'm I, let's put a pin in that and return yeah, yeah. to it in a second. Um, but. Uh, uh, yes, uh, to, to allude to David's introduction for me, yes, I was a dead body on a beach uh, in one episode of Westworld, uh, season two, episode one, I believe. So uh, if you haven't seen that episode of Westworld, check it out in the scene with all the, the dead bodies on the beach. One of those is me. 
I had hair at the time, so uh, you won't be able to tell that it looks nothing like how I look now. Um, but yeah, coldest day of my life shooting that um, uh, that day on the on the Westworld, like on location in, in Lake Powell, um, because they had us. Uh, it was wet work. They had us in the water, right? And we were all wearing wetsuits underneath our costumes. But like, it was a really cold day. I think we shot in like February or March, um, and so the water was like ice cold. And uh, they, we were shooting in the water for like a couple hours. Um, and my job as a as background was literally just to lay there dead. Like that's all I was doing. Um, and then uh, they had a warming tent set up, right? Um, where we could go and, and uh, get warmed up after laying in the water. Um, but they were just shooting take after take after take and there weren't a bunch of breaks. So none of the, the background folks who were actually in the water freezing had time to get up off the beach and like walk up the beach to the warming tent. Um, and then by the time the shoot was uh, over, like they had they had done the whole, all of the shots in that location, um, they had removed the warming tent. <laughs> <laughs> and so all of us like freezing background actors were like, like, you know, our teeth were chattering. We're like so fucking, it was the coldest I've ever been in my life. And all these other background folks were like in the same position. And then we had to like get on golf carts and drive with like the wind whipping at us all the way back to like the base camp, right? Um, in order to like get out of our wet clothes. And like, I wasn't warm. It was like an hour and a half drive back to back to my house. I was living in Utah at the time. Um, and I wasn't warm like until like 30 minutes before I got home. It was like, it was, I was chilled to the bone. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, uh, had a, had a good time. Otherwise got some, got some wet pay, um, you know, made, made a hundred bucks. Uh, and that's my big Hollywood experience. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like not, not really Hollywood. I mean, it was obviously on location, but it's a Hollywood show. Right. It sounds like the experience of most Hollywood extras where you just, you're just, uh, you're just a warm body to them, except in your case, you were a cold, a cold wet body. body. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you have like a pretty bad time. You eat some crafty, you get a little bit of money from it. Um, and then you get to tell people, Hey, I'm a dead body in that TV show. Are you on camera? I haven't gone back and I, looked. It's okay. So they did take some close-ups of various bodies. Um, I'm not one of the close-ups that made it into the final cut in the episode. So okay. there are close-ups of me on some computer server somewhere, except they probably deleted it. <laughs> um, but uh, I, you don't get a close-up of me in the in the um, in the show. But I am in a couple wide shots, okay. and the only way I know that is because I remember the costume that I was wearing. There's literally no way you can tell it's me unless <laughs> you know which what clothes I was wearing. Because I've um, known that story for a while, but I haven't gone yeah. back and actually looked. Yeah. Uh, I met uh, uh, Jeffrey Wright, right? Um, and I just want to say on Mike uh, that my experience with Jeffrey Wright uh, on that that uh, Westworld shoot, best experience I've ever had meeting a celebrity. Um, he was like so nice. He like went out of his way to like come and like introduce himself to all the background folks. He like hung out in like the background like holding area for um, like quite a while. He was probably there for like you know thirty minutes, like an hour or something like that. Um, and then when we were all eating crafty, like a lot of the big stars, like James Marsden was on the set that day. Um, and he, like, he was eating in his trailer, which like, I don't fault him for, like, it's totally fine to, <laughs> to take your lunch in your trailer and like do that. Um, but Jeffrey Wright was like out there with like all of the tech people and all the background people just like at the picnic tables, just hanging out. And like, I thought that was so rad. Like what a cool guy. Um, anyway, uh, justice, how are you doing? Uh, I'm good, David. I, uh, my weekend's off to a good start. I had a busy week, but, um, I'm, I'm feeling, feeling great today. 
Um, I don't really have anything like to elaborate on beyond that other than, yeah, yeah, feeling good. Um, and I don't, I also don't have any media recs because it's been a really busy week and I haven't watched anything. <laughs> so I'll keep my part short this week. Uh, how are you doing, David? Kind of weird. Yeah. Um, so my brother came to visit this week, which was great. It was so good to see him. Had uh, quite a few opportunities to see him. We watched Speed together, which would be one of my media recommendations. Haven't seen it before, and he hadn't seen it either. Really solid. Um, I had a I had a really good time with that, despite it being a movie that I've like seen a bunch on TV in bits and pieces. Definitely worth the full experience. I think Keanu's great. Dennis Hopper's great as well. Um, but other than that, yeah, kind of weird. I'm, I've been finding it really hard to just like get up and take care of myself, Mm. but it's not that I'm depressed necessarily. It doesn't feel like a depression normally. Uh, we had a couple snowstorms this week, so that may be part of it, but just like feeding myself and cleaning myself and doing the basic, the basic things you need to do to maintain uh, maintain yourself as a human being. Yes. Um, so that's a little weird. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with that. Um, as far as media recommendations go, um, I discovered a genre of music called ambient Americana. Oh, that sounds like something I'd be into. Right. Which is, it's something that I've kind of wanted and I just didn't know what it was called. It's, it's ambient music, drone music, post-rock, Played with folk instruments, yeah. acoustic guitars, banjo, fiddles, um, and so I have I have a bunch of albums to recommend that I listened to in that genre. Um, first off, Earth's album Hex, which was something I'd heard before that kind of gave me a taste of what this genre was before I knew what it was. Um, so yeah, Earth's Hex, as well as their album Hibernaculum. Uh, Country Tropics by Old Saw, Lost in the Glare by Barn Owl, An Evening Redness, their self-titled album, and Terror's Horns by Natural Snow Buildings. Um, yeah, really cool stuff. Yeah, if you like, if you like Frontier gazing at the cosmos music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, really, yeah, really been enjoying that this week. I'm going to have to give some of those a listen. Yeah. Uh, so let's get into today's film. We are talking about Tootsie from 1982, directed by Sidney Pollock. Yes, we are. Uh, this was your pick. It was. Talk to me. Yes. So uh, this was a movie I was sort of raised on. Um, I was raised in a theater family. Um, my parents both studied theater in college. Uh, my parents run a theater company in Prescott, Lark Productions. Any Prescott listeners, if you or Arizona listeners in general, if you want to check out their shows. <laughs> um, but uh, so, so theater family, right? I was raised in the theater. Um, I was like in my first like uh, professional theater production. I think when I was like six years old, um, and have just been doing this for a long time. Um, and I think because of that, my parents were very much into this movie because this movie has a lot to say about actors and especially is connected to 
um, the theater world, right? Um, even though like a lot of this takes place in TV and there's like a lot of TV industry stuff in this as well. There's also a lot of theater industry stuff in this. Um, and obviously it's New York theater versus what we have, which is community theater or like small regional theater. It's like not quite the same world, but it's like, there's definitely commonalities, right? Uh, theater people are the same universally, I think, wherever you go. Um, but, um, yeah, so that is was my introduction to it. I was basically raised on this movie, probably saw it for the first time at a very young age, like, I don't know, like seven or eight, um, which is pretty early for the content in this movie maybe, but like, there's also nothing like too objectionable in here. Um, maybe just a little edgy for that age. Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, I, it took me a while to figure out like what this movie was rated because there's a few swear words in there, but they're pretty, they're pretty stray. And uh, there is some risque stuff, but nothing that I think would necessarily be entirely inappropriate right. for a younger audience member. Yeah, it's not necessarily like a family film, but it's definitely one that is is pretty non-objectionable in terms of like uh, like um, quote unquote offensive content. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, in terms of other things that are offensive about this movie, I'll I'll say a little bit more about that in just a second, but, um, but, uh, yeah, so that was my introduction to this movie. I haven't revisited it since then. So like Lady Hawk, which was our second episode, this was a childhood mainstay and childhood into probably teenage years. I probably enjoyed this movie a little longer in my childhood than I did Lady Hawk, just because, uh, this movie kind of got more interesting for me as I got older. <laughs> um, but I haven't revisited it in at least, uh, I would say like 15 years, probably more. Um, so yeah, um, my first time back with it since then. Um, to, okay, to now pivot for a second, because uh, in terms of your experience with this movie, this was your first time with it, yeah. right? Okay, um, so to pivot for a second. Um, when, I just want to say like up top, uh, I'm going to try and keep this relatively concise um, and we're going to try not to harp on this a bunch throughout the episode. Um, but when I was younger, when I was watching this movie as like a, a child and a teenager, um, there was some stuff here that was potentially lost on me at the time because I was not particularly well educated <laughs> in um, the experience of queer people in this country or in general um, or, you know, transgender people. Um, and this is a movie about uh, a, a man who cross-dresses as a woman, right? Um, and there are obviously, uh, there's obviously analysis and critique that can be done and should be done on how this movie handles uh, the concept of gender. Um, there's also definitely uh, trans uh, reading um, and analysis and critique that can and should be done on this movie. Um, and I think has been done. Although when I was looking for some like uh, articles or think pieces on it, um, it, my my Google searches were coming up a little sparse. Um, I found a couple things, um, but honestly the most in-depth in uh, like queer uh, critiques of this movie that I found on the internet were on Letterboxd. Um, yes, one so of the one of the top rated reviews I saw was a, was a pretty long critique about the uh, the trans and feminist messaging in the film. Right, right. Um, and I, I do want to say, like, I think that um, those readings of this movie um, and those critiques of it are important, are definitely worth your attention. 
um, are worth considering. Um, but David and I are cisgender, heterosexual, white men, and we are not necessarily in a position to contribute meaningfully to that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, the only thing that I want to just make super clear about it is it's like, um, we're watching this movie, we're, we're experiencing this movie at, from our own position, um, which is uh, a couple of, of cishet guys, right? Um, and I think that there is stuff in here that David and I are, um, you know, educated enough that even from the position of being cishet guys, we picked up on and we're like, hey, maybe that's problematic. Or, hey, maybe yeah. I understand what message is happening here, right? Um, there's also probably stuff that we missed um, and probably stuff that we are not educated uh, enough about to discuss in a meaningful way. Um, and if we do say anything that is wrong or backwards or hurtful, um, we are genuinely very sorry. And we hope that we don't do that. Um, so, yeah, let's just dive into it I guess. yeah um this originally began production as a play in the 70s and it was rewritten as a screenplay in 79 and it one of the writers on that screenplay was friends with dustin hoffman and that's how he was brought on board he wanted creative control and eventually Sidney pollock was brought on board as the director and Hoffman also convinced him to play the agent character in this movie. I'm so glad he convinced Sidney Pollack to play that character. Yeah, <laughs> who's, who's a director I don't have really any experience with, but I have seen him as an actor. Yeah. And uh, I recently watched Eyes Wide Shut, and he's in that. He's also in Michael Clayton, and he has a career in television. He's also a producer in addition to directing. A uh, really good actor. Yeah. Really good actor-director. Sidney you know? Pollack's great. Um, I, I love him in this movie. I think, uh, his scenes with Michael are some of the strongest moments in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he won best picture and best director for his film out of Africa. Um, and notably this film was very, very successful. Second highest grossing film of 82 behind E.T. And it was nominated for 10 Academy Awards, although it only won Best Supporting Actress for Jessica Lange. Which, okay, this is not a hot take because I've seen this in the online discourse about this movie all over the place. But Jessica Lange and not Terry Garr? Like, <laughs> like what? <laughs> I mean, I'm, not that Jessica Lange is in any way bad in this movie. I think Jessica Lange is great in this movie. I think Jessica Lange is great in general. But Terry Garr in this movie. I have three separate notes in my notes. Like, I literally just wrote Terry Garr in all caps three times. Yeah. <laughs> because every single fucking thing she's doing in this movie is my my favorite thing in the movie. Sydney, uh, uh, Sandy, Sandy is my favorite character in the movie. She's my favorite part of the movie just in general. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, but I guess congrats on the Oscar win, Jessica Lange. Uh, regardless, she, she deserves to be rewarded for being a great actress. I just don't know that this was the film to do that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not as hot on Jessica Lange as most people are. And oh, okay. ma maybe that's cause I just haven't seen her in enough, but, uh, I know she's an American horror story and I've seen bits and pieces of some of those early seasons and, uh, did, did not enjoy that at all when yeah. i when i lived I mean, with roommates and sucks. stuff yeah yeah, yeah. but um, i know that's where a lot of people know her from so yeah. i don't know her from a ton 
I think she's fine in this. It's just wild that that's the Oscar this movie got. <laughs> right. I don't think this is a best picture. This was no. also, this was the year that Gandhi like swept the Oscars. So like mm-hmm. Ben Kingsley won for best actor. But yeah, I could kind of see Dustin Hoffman getting best actor for this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, the words best picture winner Tootsie, not to spoil my opinion on the film. I don't, I don't think those were, I don't think that was meant to be. Yeah. I, I, I mean, we'll, we'll get into our full thoughts on the movie, but I don't but, necessarily see this as best picture material. Either. Yeah. But yeah. this is, this is a, an acclaimed film. It's on yeah. the AFI lists and the national film registry library of Congress. It's, it's in, in the criterion collection. Yep. That was surprising to me. <laughs> and also uh, adapted into a stage musical, which is 2019 it started out as a play. Yeah. So really they've just gone full circle. It went to, from play to feature film back to play. <laughs> um, which by the way, I don't know if we need to be doing Tootsie the musical in 2019, at least not the way that the story plays out in the, the movie. I, I don't know anything about the Broadway play. So maybe they have, uh, altered some story beats or parts of the script or whatever. Um, but I, I can't imagine that, that this would play terrifically well with a Broadway audience. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's it as far as my background information. And like I said, I'm, 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 the, I'm the guinea pig on this episode. Yes. Uh, last week it was you. So um, should we just get into our discussion of the, the film itself yes uh the film tootsie it's funny that you said lay film because i don't know I do, why I did well that. i do i do feel that even though this is not the case with this movie this does has have big adapted from a french film energy just in the story <laughs> itself because if you've ever seen an american movie that was like based on a, a, a french movie that came first it's all like weird sex stuff and kind of problematic farcical comedy. Like I feel like Tootsie does have a little bit like we adapted this from a way hornier, pervier French version of the same story. Yeah. And this is um, like the sanitized, <laughs> right? Cleaned up version. Right. Even though that's not actually uh, what this is. Anyway. So we start um, the, uh, the movie with, I, in my opinion, a pretty great opening sequence. Yeah. And I do want to highlight because it's present right from the jump here. Um, this movie, I think, succeeds tremendously on on a couple levels, but one level specifically, which is that this movie is fucking hilarious. It is, in my opinion, very, very funny. I think so much of the comedy lands extremely well. I think it was quite funny yeah. for me. And okay. I think this uh, this opening montage, this opening act of the film... Is kind of my favorite part. Yeah, I okay. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I kind of think the funniest parts of the movie all happen in the first twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Michael Dorsey is basically in this opening sequence. He's going from like audition to audition, um, and nobody nobody wants him. Right. I like when um, the he's in the one audition, and they're like, uh, uh, y- you know, you're not quite the right height. Right. And he says, uh, oh, I, I can be I can be taller. And they're like, no, actually, we're looking for somebody shorter. And he's like, oh, I don't need to be this uh, tall. I'm wearing lifts. See, like I can be shorter. And then, <laughs> and then uh, the casting director goes, you're looking for we're looking for somebody different. And he's like, I can be different. And the casting director <laughs> pauses for a second and just goes, we're looking for somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the scene, uh, the audition where he's playing the husband and he's, I think that's the one where he has the mustache and he's reading the husband's part. Yeah. And then we pan over to the wife that he's talking to. Right. Which and is it's, just like a PA. It's yeah. just a PA reading the lines really deadpan. 
And that was an experience that resonated with me because I'm not as experienced of an actor as you are, but <laughs> I've been in that situation right? or been the person reading the deadpan lines. <laughs> yes. Just, and I just like, I just don't give a shit. And I'm like, I'm just here to read lines. Yeah. So you can act. Yeah. Yeah. That was funny. Um, um, and uh, there is one scene as well where he is playing someone who's dying. Mm-hmm. And then the director. Tolstoy, yeah. <laughs> okay, it's Tolstoy. Yeah. Um, and uh, the director wants him to come down center stage because the audience can't see him. And he goes, why? <laughs> I love Dustin Hoffman's why. <laughs> yeah, and the, he's like, you want me to get up, go center stage, and then die? And the director's like, yeah. I and, know it's awkward, but we'll just have to do it. And this this establishes like how Michael Dorsey's hard. This is I think is supposed to establish that Michael Dorsey's hard to work with because yes. this comes up later in a conversation with Sidney Pollock. Right. But to his credit, that's a really stupid direction, and I would fight it as yes. an actor too. Yes, and and I think I think that the the thing that this movie is sort of juggling here, and I think it does it relatively successfully, is showing that Michael Dorsey is hard headed is difficult to work with, is not somebody that you would necessarily like want as a collaborator on a creative project because, you know, he's annoying, (laughs) right? But at the same time, his impulses often are good and correct ones artistically, right? So it's like, it's kind of that balance where it's like, well, he's right, but he's also being a dick about it. (laughs) Yeah. And he also quits as soon as he doesn't get his way. Right. right. Instead of just being like, okay, like this is the wrong artistic choice, and I recognize that, but I'll roll with it because this is a job. And right? this montage. Instead, he's like, I want nothing to do with this. And this montage is also also cut with him teaching acting classes. Yes. And this is where you see his passion. Yes, and also where you see some true, just like it's it's put to screen in the movie, uh, but it is also a real thing that actors do in acting classes just um a bunch of stupid bullshit yeah (laughs) a bunch of like oh let's all like make noises or like mirror each other's movements and shit and i'm like this is giving me fucking (laughs) undergrad flashbacks and i i hate it yeah (laughs) yeah i i but i found this opening montage i think it's supposed to endear you to this character because it worked for me yeah um I don't think it was enough to sustain my uh, my warmth and my my like of this character for the rest of the movie because I think, hear me out here, I think Michael Dorsey's kind of an asshole. No, he is, and I think that that's a, intentional. Okay, I think, I think you're supposed to think that. Okay, and the the scene right after the opening sequence, uh, I think sort of cements that because Michael Dorsey is being a fucking sex pest at this party. Right. So, so it's not immediately the next scene. The, the true next scene is like him and Bill Murray working in the restaurant. You get the context that he's a waiter. Yeah. Then they walk home, have a little conversation about how Michael Dorsey should be, should just be Michael Dorsey. He shouldn't be Michael Dorsey, the man or Michael Dorsey, the great actor. He should just be happy being himself or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, and then they throw him a surprise party and then there's the party sequence. But at this party, he is being a fucking ses- sex pest. Like he is literally just walking up to every woman who he finds attractive at this party. And like, harassing them he's basically like hey like you know what do you say you're the last one to take your coat off the bed tonight like he's being a fucking creep here and i think that the movie is positioning it in such a way where it's like you see that he's charming 
you see that he's likable and maybe even well-intentioned as a guy in general. However, he also has some very large flaws, right? He's, he is an asshole, right? And he's a misogynist, right? Um, and I think that that's what the party sequence is sort of about, right? Um, it's sort of about how he spends this entire time at his own surprise party um, w with a, b a bunch of people who were invited who he doesn't know, <laughs> right? <laughs> Just um, harassing women and failing to get laid because he is being such a fucking creep. <laughs> <laughs> um and you mentioned bill murray uh i didn't know he was in this movie and yeah in the restaurant scene he's just there yes and i was like oh bill murray bill murray's in this and, it, was, uh, it was 1982 so bill murray kind of wasn't bill murray yet you know yeah like this was pre-ghostbusters um i think he had had a few a few hits under his belt but mm -hmm. um this is the one of the few times outside of like i don't know a wes anderson movie where i've seen bill murray playing a supporting role yes yeah um and in the, I like in the, in the restaurant scene, he's eating food off of the plates that are about to go out. Um, he's also our second drunk, bitter playwright yes. since uh, Tom Hollander's character in About Time. So also, I yes. immediately loved him. So the funniest, we talked about how the first 20 minutes of this movie are maybe the funniest parts of it. Yeah. Um, at this party scene, there is such a funny recurring gag with Bill Murray's character because he is at this table um drinking beers and he is he's the the playwright character like david mentioned and he is uh he's pont doing all of this fucking very um uh pretentious playwright pontificating right where he's just like uh he's like i don't want i don't want a full house i want uh 10 people who just survived the greatest rainstorm this city's ever seen those are people who are live on the planet till they dry off I want a theater that's only open when it rains, right? <laughs> He's just saying this shit. And everybody is like crowded around the table, just like, this guy's a genius. They're just like all eating it up. But it's such a funny recurring gag because he is he's just spouting all of this ridiculous horse shit, which is totally the type of things that playwrights and directors actually say at cast parties. I've been to this cast party. There's a baby at this cast party. I was the baby at this cast party when I was a baby. Like this is the environment I was raised in. <laughs> Um, anyway, so, uh, it cuts back to him though, um, throughout the party and slowly, uh, the number of people around the table listening to him pontificate just dwindles. Like it's like fewer and fewer people and the number of empty beers on the table just grows and grows and grows. <laughs> and I was watching it last night, fucking dying every time they cut back to him because it's, it's such a funny recurring gag. And at the end, there's like the table's just full of empty beer vessels right is cans and bottles and shit and then there's one woman left just massaging his shoulders as he's talking <laughs> it's really funny uh um so yeah um the the birthday party then uh ends everybody leaves yeah uh michael offers to walk sandy home yeah uh who's who's an actress and uh she's worried about this audition that 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 she has coming yes. up played by the incomparable Terry Gar. I, yes, I fucking love Terry Gar, uh, especially in this movie, but just also in general. <laughs> I don't know that I've seen her in anything else. You've definitely seen her in Young Frankenstein, because I know you've seen that. Oh. Would you like to have a roll in the hay? Roll, <laughs> roll, roll in the hay. Yeah, okay. that's also Terry Gar. Uh, okay, cool. Um, yeah, because I, I didn't recognize the name and I didn't think to look up uh, the rest of her filmography, but yeah, she's great in this movie. Yeah. And 
Yeah, so uh, Michael walks her home and offers to come up uh, upstairs and help her with this audition. Um, and it's uh, it's a role on a sitcom where she has to play a new hospital administrator. Yeah, a soap opera, in fact. Uh, yeah, soap opera. Yeah, excuse me. Um, and it's a scene where she has to get angry. So he's trying to like rile her up. Yes. And um, eventually she's she's able to get there. Another big I hate actors moment here where he's just like just being a dick to her to make her mad, to make her act anger. Right. And I'm like, this is such like a dated and uh, and it's a, it's a dated and problematic way of viewing acting coaching right is it's like oh yes this person is here to emotionally abuse you until you are believably angry it's like no like you can actually do this in other ways that are like healthier for you mentally and emotionally um however it's 1982 and that's how people thought acting had to happen back then i guess (laughs) um but what you do see here um is a little bit of their relationship and how um terry gar kind of like uh idolizes him in a way she thinks like he's so great right um and it's clear that he sort of genuinely cares about her um but is also uh like pretty easily um distracted by the the his own kind of uh career aspirations and stuff right um so anyway and the next morning he drives her to the audition as he says I'll pick you up at 10 to engage you <laughs> because she's not sure that she can get angry again yes. uh, before, before the audition. <laughs> pick you up at 10. Uh, and she, she blows it. Yes. She doesn't even get to read. So she doesn't even get a chance to blow it. They just take one look at her and are like, right. Like she doesn't even get the opportunity to, to, to read from it. Um, which I think is a thing that this movie is sort of saying about, you know, being a woman in the entertainment industry where it's like Michael Dorsey, no one will hire him but they're still letting him read, right? Um, Whereas it's like, you know, being a woman in the entertainment industry, it's like, you know, you're more likely to have a casting director take one look at you and be like, oh, she's, you know, not the right type. She's not attractive enough. She's whatever, right? And just turn you away without even seeing what you are capable of in terms of talent, (laughs) right? Um, So I think that that's maybe part of the the thing that the movie's sort of of saying here. Like, yeah, this, it sucks to be a woman in the entertainment industry (laughs) Um, and in the workforce in general. Anyway, so uh, she gets turned away, um, and uh, then the so they they then go to uh, talk to the receptionist here um, at the the studio that's holding the audition, um, and uh, Michael Dorsey is trying to get in touch with somebody who he knows who he thinks can get Sandy a reading, um, and the receptionist uh, basically is like, oh, he's not on the show anymore. He's doing Iceman Cometh, and immediately Michael's attention shifts away from like getting Sandy this reading to his own career because he's like, Iceman Cometh is my part, and so then he goes to see his agent. Yes. <laughs> Uh, his agent George Fields, uh, played by Sidney Pollock. Yes, uh, and he's he's ranting at him about the fact that he didn't get Iceman Cometh. David, is this the best scene in the movie? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, in general, <laughs> I think the scenes with Bill Murray and uh-huh. the scenes with Sidney Pollock are my favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah, I would I would add to that anytime Terry Gar's on screen from my perspective, but otherwise, like we're we're pretty much on the same page. There's an there's there's another actress in this movie who is my Terry Gar, and we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> okay, right. Um, but yeah, so he's <laughs> the scene with 
<laughs> the scene between Michael and George, um, which is probably the best scene in the movie. There's just so many good jokes in here because yeah, like David said, Michael's basically being like, you know, Iceman Cometh was my part. Like, why didn't I get the part? And and Sidney Pollock is initially trying to gently let Michael know that maybe he needs an attitude adjustment and should um, consider being less combative and maybe he'll get more roles. And then uh, Michael is being extremely combative with with his agent, yeah. right? Um, and so it kind of turns, it gets a little bit more heated and Sidney Pollock is like straight up like, N- literally, I can't get anyone to hire you. Um, there's, a, there's a great exchange here. One of my favorites is... Um, uh, uh, George is talking about how they needed a name for Iceman Cometh, um, right? And uh, he's like, I don't remember the other actor's name, but he's like, that's a name, right? And then uh, uh, Michael's like, Michael Dorsey's a name. And <laughs> George goes, yeah, if you want to send back, Michael, Michael Dorsey's a name. If you want to send back a steak, Michael Dorsey's a name. <laughs> and, and Dustin Hoffman plays like, just like the petty butthurt of of that insult so well like he's he's like such a diva in this scene it's so funny um the the there's so many funny lines i wasn't able to pull all of them out of here but one is uh you were a tomato in a commercial (laughs) and the commercial went over schedule because you wouldn't sit down it wasn't logical you were a tomato and they go on this for a little while. Yes, and then this is one of the moments where uh, I fucking hated Michael Dorsey because this in this tomato argument, this tomato exchange, he starts doing the thing where he starts improving instead of actually having an argument with George, right? He he get, goes in on the tomato thing and he's like, I was a juicy, sexy beef di- beefsteak tomato. I did an evening of vegetables off Broadway. Like I did an endive salad that knocked the critics off their ass. And it's like, none of that is true. That's all complete bullshit. And he has just decided to turn this into a scene, right? Um, which I think is so funny because basically immediately after that, uh, George's response is like, like, you need to get some therapy. Like there is something wrong with you <laughs> um, and you need help, right? Um, which to his credit, I think George is completely right about this. <laughs> I basically think that that Dustin Hoffman's character, that Michael Dorsey could have had the same growth and trajectory that he has in this movie just by going to therapy instead of doing any of this other shit. It would be a way less entertaining movie to watch. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think George is right about this. It'd be a very different movie. Yeah, <laughs> Michael Dorsey goes to therapy. And uh, <laughs> from here, I think we just immediately cut to Dusty Dustin Hoffman walking down the street in drag yeah, as Dorothy Michaels. Right, because George is basically like, I can't get you any work. You're, you are fucked, right? Yeah. And Dustin Hoffman's basically like, we'll see about that. And then, yeah, it's cut to Dorothy Michaels. I yeah. kind of like that there's no build up to this that is just we're immediately in it yes when i was a kid i remember not really understanding maybe the first time i watched this that dorothy was michael until later when you see him like uh like either change his voice back to michael's voice yeah or uh like take off like the wig or something like i think as a kid like the performance was convincing enough that i was like why are we why is this lady the focus of the movie now (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, I also love that there's no like big scene of him like putting on the makeup and stuff the first time. You just cut straight to it. Yeah, and then we get to we get to tease out the nuances of his relationship with this character that he's made for himself. Mm-hmm. We get to tease that out as the film goes on and explore it 
a little bit rather than like having it all up front. I do, I do really like that decision. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Michael, as Dorothy Michaels shows up to the audition for that same part that Cindy was going for in the sitcom, uh, fucking soap opera. Jesus. Yes. So are soap operas still a thing? Um, I pro- probably, uh, you know, maybe not to the level that they, they once were. I imagine that they're still, that those are still airing. Okay. I imagine daytime dramas still exist. Yeah. Uh, in the age of streaming, I feel like a lot of that caliber of stuff does just go direct to streaming, uh-huh. you know, like, I feel like they, you have like the kind of like, um, r- drama romance, uh, with kind of like cheap budgets and low production values. Like a lot of that shit just gets dumped straight to like Netflix and shit. Um, but I, I bet there's still stuff airing on, uh, on, you know, network television in those slots. Okay. My, the viewership is probably not what it used to be. <laughs> yeah. My, my grandmother watched a bunch of soaps when I was younger. So she would watch like whenever we were over there, like bold and the beautiful or as the world turns, yeah, those yeah, were yeah. always on. And then, um, I just didn't, I didn't see her watch them anymore yeah. at a certain point. And at that point, uh, I had moved away and I was an adult and not really aware of that sort of stuff like I was as a kid. So I thought maybe they were just like, they died out some yeah. at some point in the nineties and the early two thousands. Maybe. I mean, I'm looking at it right now because I was like, maybe as the world turns is still going. I knew it was going for like ever. Um, it started in like the fifties, but yeah, last episode aired in 2010. So who knows? Maybe they're, maybe they're extinct. Um, or maybe it was replaced by something else. Yeah. Um, listeners, if you happen to be a soap opera enthusiast and you know the answer to this question, you can let us know by DMing us or adding us on social media. I I, yeah. I, I think I'm just trying to figure out why I keep, why I keep slipping up and saying sitcom instead of soap opera. Cause yeah. I did watch this and recognize that like, Oh, this is a soap opera show. Right. Yeah. But my brain keeps going to sitcom. Yes. Um, uh, anyway, so yeah. yeah. So, uh, Michael as Dorothy auditions for the soap opera part um, and basically walks onto the set and the director immediately says, just takes one look at one look at her. One look at Dorothy. Yeah. One look at Dorothy <laughs> and says, uh, you're not right for this. Right. You're too, you're too soft. And <laughs> then um, Dorothy immediately just starts a fight with him. Yeah, because because she's basically like uh, he he basically the pronoun thing in this is going to get uh, confusing. Uh, apologies. Yeah, <laughs> um, I did anticipate this. Yes, but um, but uh, Michael as Dorothy, right? Um, it, it, he he basically as an actor is like, oh, I've just been given a note. I've been told that I'm too soft, so I should be more combative, <laughs> right? Um, and that's what he does. Um, and so he he chews the director out. Uh, the director's name is Ron. Um, and, uh, uh, he's like, um, got his hand like on Dorothy's arm. Um, and she's like, uh, you can take your hand off me before I, uh, kick your balls right through the roof of your mouth or whatever. Um, and then she like chews him out basically being like, um, uh, you know, yelling at him for, for judging her just based on her appearance, um, and not even letting her read. Um, and he's basically, uh, you know, saying, uh, that he should be ashamed of himself. Uh, a funny line here, uh, when she's like storming out, shame on you, you macho shithead. (laughs) And uh, and one of the the um, folks who is working like on the soap opera, um, who's like a woman who I, I it was unclear to me her position. She's like she's a producer. A producer. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, 
So uh, one of the producers is pretty impressed by this um, and goes uh, to follow uh, uh, Michael as Dorothy, right? <laughs> um, as uh, she's about to go get in the elevator. And um, the, the producer is basically like, um, was that for real back there? Or were you auditioning for the part? And uh, Dorothy's response is, uh, which answer will get me a reading? <laughs> She goes, well, good for you. Yeah. Um, and they let her do a reading and she, she tests great and uh, she's, she's hired. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in this scene, uh, there's a moment where she drops her script and looks up and sees Jessica Lang. Oh, yeah. Uh, bent down to help her put the script back together. That's our first introduction to Julie. Yeah. Played by Jessica Lang. Right. Um, I really like this next scene where Michael basically ambushes Sidney Pollock. <laughs> At a restaurant <laughs> while the, dressed up as Dorothy. The room, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which the Russian tea room is a real, uh, real place, at least was a real place. I don't know if it still is in New York. Um, where, yeah, like directors, power producers, like lots of big, you know, uh, Broadway big shots. Um, it was like a big hangout for them, like lots of people in the entertainment industry. But yeah, so like he ambushes <laughs> George at the Russian tea room and as, like, as Dorothy, right? And um, George does not recognize him. And he like goes and sits like in George's booth. And I love George's reaction to this because he's like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I just love that his reaction is like somewhat subdued, but like very clearly like, this is not okay. Like what the fuck is happening right now? Um, and then, yeah, Michael's just being such a, a fucking nuisance. Because <laughs> George has these other producers come up. Because uh, George is an agent and these producers come up to talk to him. And um, uh, Michael, you know, dresses Dorothy is in the booth with him. Just like playing with his shoulder and like tickling him and shit. <laughs> just like being such a, a fucking annoyance. <laughs> it's It's very funny. <laughs> there are there are moments in this movie where Michael as Dorothy drops the Dorothy voice yes. and just speaks in his normal voice to comedic effect. Yeah. This is one of those scenes it's where he's me, Michael it's me, Dorsey. Dorsey. <laughs> Your favorite client. It, it was so it was it was a really it's a really great moment. Yes. Yeah. Um and uh George is like so freaked out by this, by the way. He's like, I told he's like, God, I begged you to get some therapy. <laughs> Um, but, uh, he, uh, is, is basically trapped essentially into going along with this because Michael has landed a huge role on a uh, daytime soap, right? It's like good money for George as his agent. Right. Um, and, uh, also like, um, uh, George, I think is a little bit con concerned <laughs> about not going along with this as yeah. well. <laughs> like what it will mean for his own reputation or whatever. Um, so yeah. So he basically, he, Michael sort of forces George to be involved <laughs> in the uh, scam. And he also bullies him for money to get more clothes. <laughs> yes. I got, I have to have something to wear other than this. Um, um yeah. and, and, uh, next Michael has lunch with Jeff, uh, again, played by Bill Murray who's also his roommate. I don't know if we mentioned that. Yeah. Um, but talks about how the money he's going to raise, uh, the, the money he's going to earn on this show, they're going to put towards putting on Jeff's play that he's been working on. Yes. Yeah. Um, I also like all the shtick about the necktie scene in the, in the, there's a running gag about the necktie scene in this movie oh. in, in Jeff's play where like, they're talking about it and like, they're like, Oh yeah, I worked on the necktie scene. <laughs> and then uh, Dustin Hoffman's like, well with or without the necktie. And he's like with the necktie and Dustin Hoffman's like, you gotta take the necktie out. It's what's wrong with the play. And then later on, like Jeff's like, Oh yeah, I did end up taking the necktie out. You're right. It's better. <laughs> 
it's just that was the, all those jokes were very funny to me just like as a theater person <laughs> oh and i quite like this this line from bill murray where he says you're doing this for the money right you don't like dressing up in all those fancy little outfits and dustin hoffman's like i'm not even gonna answer that that joke does have like a little bit of like a like a gay panic sort of anti-drag thing to it or maybe like a transphobic element to it there's there's moments where this movie I'm scared that this movie's approaching that. Yes. And it, it never fully goes there, which I think yeah. is to its credit, although it could probably approach it a little bit less. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and, and I think Bill Murray's character after this moment is pretty supportive about all of this. Yeah. Anyway, so then Michael is at Sandy's um, place and uh, they're, uh, I think, practicing lines or something. Yeah, I think the idea is that he and Sandy are going to star in Jeff's play. Right, yeah. So they're working on it. Uh, At one point, she goes to take a shower, and Dustin Hoffman goes into her bedroom. And I I didn't realize this at first. I had to go back and watch it again. Mm -hmm. He takes his clothes off, and he's rifling through her closet looking for clothes to try on. Yes, yeah. Because she comes out of the shower and sees him in his his underwear. (laughs) With his jeans still around his ankles, which is pretty funny. (laughs) And I was like... Oh, he's pulling a naked man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes. He's trying to swing a naked man, but no, he's uh, actually looking for clothes to try on. From but she, but she interprets yes. it as he's trying to sleep with her. From, by the way, uh, much more problematic uh, than Tootsie, I think, How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> a show that, if you revisit it, has not aged well. <laughs> it has aged quite poorly. Um, anyway, so yeah, Michael, Michael basically sleeps with Sandy as cover. So that he doesn't have to explain the whole I am pretending to be a woman to uh, be on a a soap opera thing. Um, Which, you know, everything's consensual. Sandy's clearly into it. But also another moment where Michael is just kind of an asshole. Well, and the next morning she's she's like, I need to know if you're serious about this. Right. And, you know, she's like, I've I've slept with friends before and it's gotten weird mm. if it's going to get weird i just need you to let me know now yes. yeah and and he's he's like no i'll call you tomorrow we'll go out to dinner again yes and then he's basically a- ghosts her for the rest of the fucking movie yes he's over promising and under delivering he should have just been like yeah like this is a one-time thing like things are we're not gonna be changing anything yeah you know he, he had plenty I'll, of opportunities to back out i'll see you at play practice but yeah and she no she gives him an out and he yeah. just does not take it <laughs> Um, but anyway, so, uh, then, uh, oh, so they make plans to have dinner, uh, at eight 30. Right. Um, and then, uh, we cut to Michael getting up at like four 30 in the morning <laughs> because he's got to put on the wig and the makeup and all the, he's got to do the whole morning ritual. He's got to shave his legs. He's got to shave his face. Um, all that jazz. And so we do that all as a little montage. Um, and, uh, to, to, uh, an original song for the movie. Um, how did you feel about the, the Tootsie song? Um, I, I liked the music in this movie. Yeah. I, I wasn't crazy about it, but I thought like a lot of the music that plays over the montages, there's the Tootsie song. Uh, the song that plays in the very beginning of the film is, is used a few times during montages. All good stuff. Yeah. I agree. I think it's like, it's nothing like super special, but I think there's some, there's some good original soundtrack in here. A couple of good original songs. Anyway. So um, this is the, (laughs) this is a moment that I wanted to drill in on. So uh, Michael has finished his morning uh, uh, routine and is fully in Dorothy Michaels mode. 
um, now. And he goes to check uh, how he looks with Jeff, right? So he wakes Jeff up um, and <laughs> Jeff goes, mom. <laughs> um, and, uh, and Michael's like, how do I look? Um, and in this scene, I just want to point out that Jeff has a giant don't tread on me flag. Yeah. On, on his bedroom wall, which between the slightly problematic, like almost transphobic joke in the previous scene and the big don't tread on me flag uh, on his wall. Like we, we, we like Jeff in this movie, but I feel like maybe Jeff 10, 15, 20 years in the future. Where's Jeff on January 6th? That's yeah. That, oh, there is another character in this movie, by the way, that I will be asking that question about. <laughs> stay, stay tuned for characters in this movie who were definitely participating in the insurrection. <laughs> um, and it might not even be the one David's thinking about. Um, but um, yeah, so uh, all, all that to say, uh, you know, I'm very excited for Jeff's appearance on Joe Rogan. I know that's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> um, we know who he's voting for in 2024. But, but Jeff also <laughs> says, you look very nice. Yes, he does. Yeah. And then he goes back to sleep. Yeah, I was just joking about don't try to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so then uh, Dorothy goes to work uh, for the day uh, on the soap. Uh, she walks into the changing room and immediately loses control. Uh, Michael immediately loses control of his body because he has stumbled in on Gina Davis in tiny underwear. <laughs> And I lost control of my body too. Yeah, okay. I leapt off my couch <laughs> and screamed in joy for 30 seconds. Justice, yeah. this is my Terry Gar. <laughs> Young yes. Gina Davis. Yes. In this movie. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Holy shit. Holy shit. Yes. It is bananas that in a movie with Terry Gar and Jessica Lang, uh, they are both outshone in just the pure the pure hotness department like not to be not to be a gross misogynist about it <laughs> by gina davis in this movie yeah i i need to say she's flaming hot <laughs> gina davis uh incredible performer yeah oh yeah deserves uh i i'm waiting for her comeback career uh, I know she's been she's been uh, acting intermittently for a while, but someone just like give her a series of action movies. Like, oh, yeah. give me the Gina Davis John Wick. Yeah. I will be there. Uh, I also need to emphasize Gina Davis, one of the most gorgeous women to ever walk this planet. Yes, um, Hachi Machi. Yes. <laughs> um, and yeah, so uh, it, th this is sort of a running bit that happens a couple times. Uh, yeah. Michael in the dressing room with Gina Davis. <laughs> um, but this is the first time we get him. Um, and then uh, there is, uh, we go then to the shooting on the, the set for that day. Um, they're shooting a scene with, uh, the, the actor's name is John. Um, the, sorry, the character in the movie who is an actor on the soap opera. Yeah. His name is John. Um, and he uh, is like, the, he plays the older doctor on the show. Uh, and he apparently just kisses every woman on the show at some point. Um, and the, the, they're shooting the scene where uh, he's supposed to kiss uh, Dorothy Michaels' character. Um, there's a whole thing here where... Um, well, she, well, Dorothy literally walks in and her line is like, I'm so-and-so, I don't remember her character's name. And I'm the new administrator for the hospital. Yes. Like, we're introducing this character. Yes. They do make 
the the soap opera dialogue and acting like very delightfully bad. Yes, I, I enjoyed that quite it's, a bit. It's the same thing as in Boogie Nights with like the porno acting, mm-hmm. where it's like these are very talented actors, and as soon as it's like we're shooting the soap opera, like all of a sudden the performances get really wooden and stupid. Um, Jessica Lange, I think, is especially great at that in this movie, um, where she's great at transforming her acting from pretty naturalistic to just really stilted um, as soon as it's like the the character in the soap. Um, but yeah, so so she walks in basically for her first scene, introduces her character, and this guy uh, two seconds later is trying to jam his dung- tongue down her throat because it's in the script. Yeah. Um, and uh, Dorothy doesn't allow that. Uh she improvs some dialogue um kind of reprimanding him for being a pig and then like hits him over the head with a folder or whatever um and everybody on set is sort of shocked they're like you know she didn't stick to the script um but uh the producer likes it and so they're like you know it was good we'll keep it it was a good impulse but um the director ron is basically like if you ever want to do that again like that was a good impulse but if you ever want to do that again you have to check with me first and he's like re- being re- really um Uh, like commandeering with her. Like he's trying to like assert his authority. Um, He's already sort of entering into like a little bit of a power struggle with Dorothy here. Yeah. Which is going to be a continuing thing for the rest of the movie. And we also set up here, John approaches Dorothy after the scene and uh, you know, says that was really great and everything and just kisses her completely unprompted on the lips. Yes. Yes. Uh, Non-consensual kiss. And, and I think to the movie's credit, it's, it is, maybe sort of played as a joke but not it's not like a gag right yeah and i think michael's reaction to it is he's legitimately sort of um stunned and sort of uh violated right when i was watching it last night i was watching his performance pretty closely to be like how goofy is his reaction to is it is the joke ha 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 man kissed another man right right and it's like i think to some extent Unfortunately, it is. Sure. However, I do think that it is played in such a way where it aged better than it could have. Yeah. Because I think that that Michael's reaction to it is like, I feel really violated right now. Like, I feel like I'm taken aback by how much that being kissed without my consent just affected me. Right. Um, And I think it's he's like, um, he has to like take a second to deal with it. (laughs) Yeah. And I think uh, I think Dustin Hoffman just kind of looks at John as John walks away, kind of kind of slack-jawed. Yeah. Um, but it's not anything overly comical or uh, anything like a caricature. It's very it's a very realistic reaction, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, so I would agree. I don't I think it is a little bit of haha guys kissing. Right. Um, unfortunately, but it is it is also played as like, no, he's he's been he's been assaulted here. Right. Um, and there's a, there's another moment, uh, with, with John later that we'll get to, which I think the movie also handles in a pretty good way. Um, I, I do think that this is, that's one area where sort of the feminist commentary that this movie is making sort of succeeds is it's like, Hey, like men in the audience, guys watching this movie. Um, imagine if this happened to you, that wouldn't feel great, would it? Right. (laughs) Right. Um, so anyway, um, then uh, we also get some context um, on this uh, day of shooting that Ron, the director, is in a relationship with Jessica Lange. Um, they're uh, they're dating. Did we already mention that? No, we didn't. Okay. And it actually took me a while to pick up on it and realize yeah. it. 
because because Ron's Ron's kind of a pig as well. Yes, uh, and so, he's also much older than her. Yes, there's probably like at least a twenty year age gap, probably more between him and Jessica Lang. Um, so that's also he's he's a pig and a womanizer, and also like significantly older than her. And it's that weird like he's the director, she's an actress. Mm-hmm. There's a weird power dynamic at play. It's all very gross. Um, and the movie presents it as gross, which I think is good. Uh, by the way, if if Ron Carlyle was a real director, um, this guy would have been Me Too'd so long ago. <laughs> he, th- this man's career would have been nuked in like 2008, and rightfully so. <laughs> John as well. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Both of those guys are in the Epstein files. John, John would be doing his apology tour like Jonathan Majors is now. <laughs> He'd be doing... <laughs> He'd be doing "Let Me Be Frank" videos <laughs> in in character as the as, as the doctor as Doctor Brewster. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> man. Oh God! Remember when he just released a couple of those like on Christmas? Kevin he did. Spacey? He did one last year. He did. He did one. Uh, he did, he did one like an interview with Tucker. What a fucking mate! Wait, with Tucker Carlson. Kevin Spacey, who was interviewed by Tucker Carlson. In, char- have- in character as Holy Frank God. from I'm, House of Cards. I must have blocked this from my memory. I, I haven't actually watched any of them. They just <laughs> occasionally, they come across my feed every Christmas, and I have to be, have to be reminded that uh, Kevin Spacey's just doing weird shit. He's a super villain. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with him. Yeah, he he has fully transformed into like an actual just cartoon villain where uh he he is a, a you know known known sexual assaulter, known known rapist <laughs> Kevin Spacey um just chooses to continue defending himself publicly in like weird uh disturbing ways that yeah. that a, a, a super villain would do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's in, he's not getting movies, but apparently he still has access to a YouTube account <laughs> to upload this shit. Uh, whoever is responsible for Kevin Spacey's internet connection, please turn it off. <laughs> um, holy shit. Anyway. <laughs> uh, okay, so then... So later that night, uh, Michael and Jeff are talking back in their apartment, and... Uh, Michael is kind of talking about this as if he's he's playing a role and playing a character. Yeah. And uh how, you know, like she's prettier than I am and I wouldn't have that kind of strength and ability to stand up for myself the way that she does, which again, he is really hard to work with. So I don't know how how true that is. Right. Right. Um and their the phone rings and they start debating about who should pick up on the phone. Right, because uh, Michael has given the studio their home number just so that if like any schedule changes happen or whatever, he he knows about it. Um, so he, he wants, uh, he doesn't want Jeff to answer the phone because Dorothy wouldn't have a man living with her. Um, but uh, Jeff doesn't want Michael to answer the phone as Dorothy because Jeff's girlfriend might be calling. And then he's like, how do I explain to her? How do I explain to Denise that there's another woman here? Right. So <laughs> they, they argue about it long enough that nobody answers the phone. <laughs> and, and uh, it is, it's one of those old rotary, rotary telephones. And 
uh, it's just sitting on the table. And later in the movie, there is a bit of uh, a visual gag here where you see they've bought an answering machine <laughs> to hook up to the phone. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a scene a little bit later where he he cancels uh, cancels dinner with Sandy and pretends that he has a fever or something like that. Yeah. And uh, she eats it up. And yes. this is the first of many scenes where Dustin Hoffman uh, just blows off Sherry Gar. Yes. Justice for Sandy. I don't know what the fuck Michael Dorsey is thinking. As soon as he sleeps with Terry Gar the first time, I'm like, man, you gotta, you gotta make this work because that's that's a real catch you got there. <laughs> um, I don't know what the fuck he's doing chasing around Jessica Lange. Uh, what he should be doing is going after Gina Davis, in my opinion. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but in, in David's alternative movie, it's the same movie, but instead of Jessica Lange, it's just the same movie, but Gina Davis is the love interest. <laughs> um, anyway, so he reschedules with uh, Sandy, uh, I think for like 8.30 the next day or whatever. Yeah, we have a bit of a, a rise montage here where um, he's, he's signing autographs as Dorothy mm-hmm. outside the studio, uh, you know, the morning before the shoot. Um, filming more episodes uh there's a there's a fun scene where he's out walking the streets with jeff and he spies some jewelry in a a jewelry store window Mm -hmm. and jeff thinks that he wants to buy it for he's like is that for sandy he's like no for dorothy Mm -hmm. and then he looks a little bit further down the street and sees julie yeah and kind of looks at her longingly but of course she doesn't recognize yes. him i like the part where he kind of hides behind uh bill murray a little bit yeah because <laughs> he's like I, i'm really like <laughs> first of all i don't want her to recognize me but also i'm shy um i think our next scene here is uh julie invites dorothy over to run <laughs> run lines yes although before before that we do get a little bit more shooting on the soap opera set yeah none of it is like super important but one thing that i did want to call out is we get um the second uh uh instance of the gag with um with michael uh, as dorothy being in the dressing room with gina davis and uh, gina davis is like doing calisthenics movements so she's like once again in her tiny underwear and she's like doing little exercises like bending over right in front of him and it's a classic word switch gag <laughs> where he they're practicing uh lines for the soap right. and uh and <laughs> And Dorothy's dialogue is like, um, well, I, I think of all you nurses as my daughters. And what kind of mother would I be if I didn't give my girls tits, tips? <laughs> and it's, it is like a very uh, like old school type of joke. Like it's, it's, it's very well established. You know, it's not nothing. We're not breaking new ground with that joke, but just a really good execution of that type of joke. Yes. <laughs> I just wanted to call that one out because <laughs> I thought it was really funny. Anyway, then we're at. Uh, then we're having Julie invite Dorothy over. Yeah, we we find out that uh, Julie's a single mother, and uh, she hasn't had a, a great great experience with men. Yeah. Um, and there's a, a line here that she says that that'll come back later, where she says, "I just basically I just wish a man would come up to me and just very cordially and respectfully ask to sleep with me." Right. Right. Yeah. She she says the whole thing that she wishes that the guy would say. Yeah, right? you know we could do we could do a lot of role playing or whatever, but I find you very interesting and I would really like to make love to you or whatever is like yeah. her dream thing that a guy should say to her. But it's important to note she is saying this to what she believes to be another woman. Yes, after many glasses of wine. Yes, <laughs> and and you see Michael 
uh, as Dorothy, like taking all of this in and be like, okay, all right, okay, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, okay, I got a plan here, right? And in this moment, I'm just like, dog, any time that, I don't want to make generalizations about women, but in like in my personal experience with women, um, if they say that they want something exactly from a man, like this is the exact thing I would like a man to do. Um, usually it's more complicated than that. <laughs> and that's not the exact, that's not the thing that they want literally any man just off the street to do. <laughs> right. Um, there, it, it's, it's, you know, there's, there's a border between uh, what, you, what is ideal in your fantasies and what is ideal in, in real life, right? Something that is like nice in a fantasy is sometimes creepy and weird in real life, which Michael Dorsey will learn by experience. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's another thing here that I picked up on. Um, Dorothy is frequently offered alcohol throughout this movie. Yeah. And she always turns it down. And I... I don't know if it's ever explicitly stated, but I imagine it's because Michael doesn't want to break character. Yes. Yes. I think that that's completely right. Yeah. Right. Um, and in this scene, like her excuse is basically like, oh, I want to keep sharp while we're doing the lines. Right. right. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think that that's exactly right. I uh, think Michael's afraid that if he gets drunk as Dorothy, Michael's going to slip out. Yeah. Uh, and there, there, it is uh, subverted later in the movie as a joke. So I will call it out when we yeah. get there. And I thought that was, that was well done. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I th- I think the uh, the things that that women talk about what they want from men, it is more complicated than that. Yeah. And uh, I mean, shortly afterward, Michael comes up to uh, comes up to Julie as himself and delivers that line basically verbatim, literally verbatim. Yeah. And. Uh, she she, she understands she reacts uh, understandably to that but um how how those alarm bells weren't going off in her head i i don't know because if if i told if you if you were were dressed up as someone else and i didn't realize it was you yes and i said boy you know, I wish that justice would say blah 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 to me yes and, and then, then i <laughs> said exactly seven blahs to you yeah <laughs> <laughs> You'd be like, "Hey." <laughs> I would freak out. <laughs> um, no, yeah. I I think I think the the way that I justified that um because it is sort of weird that Julie isn't immediately like Dorothy, <laughs> right? Um uh or do you know Dorothy My- has Dorothy Michaels been telling you things about me, right? Um it's it, 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 I think the way that you get around that is uh they make a big show of exactly how many glasses of white wine Jessica Lang has before that conversation happens. So I'm like I don't think she remembers all of what she said probably cuz she's she's drinking pretty heavily in that scene. <laughs> I I think we should maybe talk a little bit about Dustin Hoffman as Michael as Dorothy. Yes. Because he, he's doing two performances here. Yes. Right? He's doing the Michael and he's doing the Dorothy. Yes. Um, and sometimes he is fully in Dorothy and that's kind of its own character. And then sometimes, like you just said, sometimes Michael is coming out in the scenes where he is Dorothy. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it's... And I think Dustin Hoffman does a great job. Yes. Um, and And those moments where... Michael slips out a little bit. I'm wondering how much of the dialogue is 
being improv mm-hmm. because a, a lot of times that happens on the set of the soap opera where Dorothy, the character, Michael, the character is clearly improving. But I'm wondering how much Dustin Hoffman himself is actually improving. I do know about Dustin Hoffman in general. He is a big improviser. Um, like just as an actor, that's something that he does a lot. Um, and uh, actually, a lot of folks in this movie are are big improv people. Like um, uh, just known dialogue improvisers. <laughs> um, uh, Terry Gar also is known for doing that. Bill Murray, big time, mm-hmm. um, is known for doing that. Um, so, uh, yeah. And I imagine that's probably just something that, um, they were looking for in this movie because it is a movie like about actors and they kind of wanted that like natural, um, feel to it. But, uh, but yeah, I, I bet a lot of it is, is being improv. Um, I think that uh, I agree with you though. I think that Dustin Hoffman does a really good job playing either the one character, the other character, or both at the same time. Right. And there are moments in the movie where he's sort of varying it right there are some moments where he's like so in character as dorothy that basically you're only seeing dorothy and then there's other times where he's like breaking character as dorothy and being michael as dorothy sometimes for comedic effect where he like does the deep voice but Mm -hmm. other times it's just facial expressions right and you're like look the camera's in on his face and even though he's in the dorothy wig and the makeup and everything you're like oh i'm seeing michael thinking right now right he's not in character as dorothy right now he's out of character kind of like um, assessing the situation as himself, right? Um, which is, I think, talented acting, very skillful performance. Uh, not really much you can say bad about it. And the and the Dorothy the Dorothy character, he ha- he gives her like a very kind of high pitched, timid Southern voice, kind of playing her as like a very proper Southern belle. Yes, but then occasionally breaks into those moments of like fierce uh, feminine rage yes. that uh that he, he summons on set and stuff like that i do think and this is just like my assessment on this but i do think it is a strength of this movie that in my opinion uh dustin hoffman is not playing a caricature of a woman yes as dorothy right uh the character of dorothy is pretty like three-dimensional right he's the the mannerisms are not caricatures of of you know feminine mannerisms the voice is not a caricature of a feminine voice it all seems to be coming from a place that's like more grounded and real than that um and more specific to like this woman that he's playing he's not just like i'm i'm a guy playing a woman he's like i'm a guy playing this woman and he has like specific ideas about who she is her interior life what um, you know, type of person she is and like her background and stuff, right? Um, which I appreciated. I thought I thought this movie could have gone more broad with like a caricature of like a guy cross-dressing and it didn't. And I think that's a strength. And the uh, the makeup and the costuming uh, for for Dorothy, I think is done really well yeah. too. It's it, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of work that goes into that, that went into this to make Dustin Hoffman realistically a woman yeah appear as a woman and uh i think it pays off you know it 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 uh it it the 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 character they they feel like distinct characters until those moments where one starts breaking through to the other right and i think those moments are some of the more uh interesting parts of the film yeah um Um, so uh julian and dorothy have their little heart to heart here and then uh, uh, Michael realizes that, uh, it's, it's gotten quite late. <laughs> he's been, he's been, uh, having this, this dinner with Julie after practicing their lines. They've been chatting over some wine 
And, uh, and Dorothy is like, oh my goodness, what time is it? Like the time got away from me. And, uh, and Julie says it's 1030 and oh shit, Michael is two hours late with, uh, for his date with Sandy. <laughs> so then he runs home in full Dorothy getup, um, has to like shower and change, take all everything off, shows up at Sandy's door and uh, is now three hours late and mm-hmm. uh, has a pint of ice cream as a consolation prize. What a fucking dick. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe this. I mean, as like, I remembered this movie from being a kid, but like all of the stuff with Sandy on this watch, way more than when I was a kid. I was just like, man, he's treating her like dog shit. <laughs> it made me so upset. <laughs> and he's really getting nothing out of this. Like he, no. he should, he, he clearly, you know, he, he clearly cares about her as a friend. Right. He likes her as a friend, yeah. but, but he just doesn't have the heart to, you know, let her down. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think a lot of that is ego on his part, right? Yeah. He's like, Oh, I can do all of this at once. Right. And it's like, no, you can't man. Um, but basically, uh, Sandy sort of gives him another out here and is basically like, you know, like, if if this isn't going to work out, like, just let me know. Um, and Michael's like, no, like dinner, whenever, right? He, he they set another date, right? Mm-hmm. There is, there is a moment I want to touch down on. Oh here yeah. Where, yeah. where Sandy says she noticed a fat woman go into his apartment, <laughs> yes. which I think is part of that, like letting him down. So she's like, if there's someone else, just let me know. Right. And um, this is, this is Dustin. This is Michael Dorsey. Basically playing peter parker in a scene with j jonah jameson yeah because sandy's like oh they i saw the girl that they that that got that part on Mm -hmm. the on the soap and she sucks and he's like well i think she's pretty good yeah yeah (laughs) and she calls she calls dorothy a cow and it's so funny because michael's reaction to that is like really genuinely hurt like he looks very upset. It's 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 J. Jonah Jameson going. Spider Man's a menace, and Peter Parker's like, I think he's pretty cool. He's, he's, he's helping people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bring me pictures of Dorothy Michael. Um, <laughs> um, which, by the way. Uh, that's that's probably about where we're at in the movie is bring me pictures of Dorothy Michaels because I think one of the next things that happens is the big the big montage yeah the fame it's a, montage it, it's another big montage where she uh, there's more scenes of her going off script and improvising on on set yep and the uh, audience clearly loves it the yeah, show's yeah. getting really popular the characters getting really popular she does photo shoots for for Cosmo and yes. other uh, women's lifestyle magazines one of which is a a 10 second Andy Warhol cameo <laughs> yeah Andy Warhol is just in this movie as himself getting his picture taken with Dustin Hoffman as Dorothy Michaels. <laughs> Which I was like, huh. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how they swung. I wonder I wonder how they landed on Andy Warhol. Yeah, I don't know. Because it's like, it's like a TV guide. I think it's a, the cover of the TV guide. Yeah. So they're like, we need someone to take pictures with, with Dustin Hoffman dressed up as a woman for this movie. Yeah. Who can we get? <laughs> Andy Warhol, I, I guess. guess. <laughs> they also got Gene Shalit. But Gene Shalit makes more sense because like he's like a like a TV uh, uh, movie critic. Yeah. Right. Um, so like at least he has more of a connection to the industry. Although, you know, Andy Warhol did some film work or whatever. But um, yeah, I just thought it was funny that Andy Warhol's in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> with his silly little uh little uh bowl cut um anyway so yeah big big fame montage um uh, uh dorothy michaels is becoming one of the biggest tv stars in in the country right? yeah um and and after this uh michael's having a meeting with uh, george his agent played by Sidney pollock again and and he's really excited and talking about like 
trying to get more roles as yes. Dorothy. And he's like, I could do Medea. Yes. He says he could do Ophelia, which I was like, I think that's out of Dorothy's age range. <laughs> I think I think Dorothy's a little, she, she's maybe a little up there for Ophelia. Um, he also says that, uh, that she could do, uh, that Dorothy could do um, Lady Macbeth. And I was like, that one, now you got something. But Ophelia, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's that's another great scene with, with Sidney Pollock. Uh another one of the they just have a really good dynamic yes yeah um uh, i really really love in that scene um where uh michael is getting very in he's getting very like impassioned like david was saying about like all the things that dorothy could do could do and at one point michael says um you know uh i've got like dorothy has something to say or, or uh i don't know whether he says dorothy or i i think he says i've got something to say to women Right. And George's response is like really condescending. You have nothing to say to women, <laughs> which I love. And I'm fully team team George in this argument where I'm like, all right, I get it. You want to mansplain women's rights to women. Like, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> Five foot four, Dustin Hoffman. Um, <laughs> um, anyway. Um, and from here, I think we have a pretty short scene as uh, Michael shows up to uh, a production party as Michael and yes. not as Dorothy. Yeah. And this is where he he finds Jessica Lange on the balcony, hits her with the line uh, about sleeping with her. He barely gets the entire line out of his mouth, and that drink is going in his face. Yeah. <laughs> and Jessica Lange, I love the look on her face after she th- throws the drink in his face because the look on her face is basically like you knew I would like you knew where this was going you knew this wasn't gonna work you pathetic s- sack of shit <laughs> you, you think you can just use that line on me I look like 1982 Jessica Lang fuck off <laughs> um, so he tucks his tail between his legs and leaves <laughs> yeah it's uh it's what we call an apocalypse opener yeah where you just walk up to someone and you say hey wanna fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh probably doesn't work in most instances but that one time it does work i bet it's a very memorable evening uh probably <laughs> um anyway so uh yeah and then uh, also at this party uh just important to briefly note uh michael does see ron the director of the soap uh kind of philandering with some other ladies so he sees ron kind of being like a womanizer a little right bit. michael also brings terry gar to as his plus one to the the party the industry party and there is a fucking hilarious moment where we so michael has like gone off to like pursue jessica lang to the balcony to get the drink thrown in his face and terry gar is like at the buffet table and she's just putting a bunch of canapes in her purse <laughs> and she, there's a woman watching her <laughs> and uh terry gar is like uh i if i had known that there would have been much, so much food here i wouldn't have eaten before i came <laughs> she pulls a bunch a bunch of grapes out of her purse that she just put in there from the table and she's like it's for my dog and then she looks at what's in her hand and goes he likes fruit <laughs> <laughs> which obviously grapes notoriously deadly and poisonous to dogs. It's just such a, it's such a fucking funny moment. I just wanted to call it out because Terry Gar is everything. Yeah. Thanks for reminding me because it is important to note that Michael does go on a date with Terry Gar. Yeah. But he also tries to fuck Jessica Lang on that date. So yes. yeah. Yeah. And Jessica Lang's boyfriend is doing the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the, uh, the story of the soap opera, 
they've kind of started changing the script a little bit to accommodate what Dorothy's been bringing to the show. Mm-hmm. So Jessica Lange's character has now like reported the head doctor character played by John for harassment in the in the in the show. Yeah. Um and uh, I think it's it, there's a really great contrast here where immediately after that scene finishes the um the director calls cut. Yeah. And starts giving giving directions to everyone and calls Dorothy Tootsie. Yeah. And Dorothy immediately gets mad about that. Right. She's like, I have a name. Like she's she's basically like, you call ev- you call all the men on this set by their names. You know, John is always John, right? Um, and but but you know, she's like, my name isn't uh, isn't Sweetie or Honey or Tootsie or Toots or Dottie or Dot. It's Dorothy, capital D O R O T H Y Dorothy. Um, and then. <laughs> I love Ron's reaction to this is, oh, Christ. And she goes, <laughs> no, just Dorothy, <laughs> which I think is a very funny joke. Um, but yeah, so they kind of are butting heads here a little bit. Um, and Dorothy leaves and they kind of both like are cooling off a little bit because they had a little public argument in front of the entire team. Um, and uh, and Jessica Lang, uh, Julie, um, is uh, sort of, you know, she's she's talking to Dorothy about this and being like, hey, that was really cool how you stood up to him. Like, you know, that was that was neat. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and uh we we get the impression here, and ult- ultimately it'll be like said textually by the character. Um, but we get the impression that Julie kind of is inspired by um by how uh Dorothy doesn't take any shit from Ron and how maybe Julie wishes that she took a little bit less shit from Ron, right? Um and so here is where Julie uh um invites Dorothy to come to her her family's farm um, for the weekend uh, and hang out and meet her dad. Yeah. Um, and pretty much immediately as a viewer, you're like, Julie's trying to set Dorothy up with, with her father, which I guess Michael doesn't clock. <laughs> but as a viewer, I was like, oh, she wants Dorothy to be her mom. Like she she's like, will you come meet my dad and have him fall in love with you because I want you to be my mommy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and Michael also doesn't clock that, uh, Julie's father named, uh, Les, Leslie, uh, is hitting on her the whole weekend. Yes. Anytime he is on screen with Dorothy, he's just making eyes at her. Like I'm going (laughs) to, right. (laughs) Um, so yeah, he, he shows up at the farm. He makes another excuse to Sandy why he's going to be, uh, unavailable the whole weekend. He's sick again. Yeah. Uh, And there's a scene where he's talking with Jeff about this and Jeff is wondering like how long you can keep this up for. Uh, and Jeff says, I'm just afraid you'll burn in hell for all of this. And Dustin Hoffman says, I don't believe in hell. I believe in unemployment. <laughs> I love Bill Murray's delivery of that too. Just his his dry Bill Murray thing works so well for this character. He's so he's so good in this movie because he's not because he is a supporting role. Right. He he isn't Small he doesn't doses. have to be the li- the leading man. He doesn't have to carry the the comedy of the film on his shoulders. Yeah. Uh, he's able to just kind of hang out in the background and be just this this total burnout and and say the funniest lines in the movie completely casually. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then uh, Michael as Dorothy uh, goes up to the farm uh, to spend the weekend with with Julie and Les. Um, we get like a, a pretty um, big montage sequence here of them on the farm. Um, just kind of, I think this montage... And and the farm sequence in general 
it's not my favorite part of the movie. The movie kind of slows down here a little bit. Yeah, um, I and, think this was the, the this was the sequence where I started checking the runtime for the yeah. movie. And I was like, we could probably lose a good fifteen minutes here. And uh, there, there's also a scene here where it's like the end of the night. Uh, Dorothy's been playing the piano in like the living room of of the farmhouse, and Jessica Lane goes to bed, and Dorothy stays up with Les and and. They talk about feminism. Yes. Oh boy. And, Les and, starts in on gender equality. Les man. is like, I'm all for women being equal, but, but yeah. Um, <laughs> this is the other character who is definitely a January. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I figured. <laughs> okay. I thought you might think it was like Ron or John, but no, definitely Les. Uh, you you don't want to see his voting history. It's it's just it's all going to be very bad. Um, if this guy has a Twitter account, it's it's a absolute hellscape. Um, he was yeah definitely at the insurrection. Um, he's he's definitely um calling uh local school boards and telling them what books they should and shouldn't have in their libraries. <laughs> he's got a TikTok account where he's like um, attacking non-binary elementary school teachers or some shit. Um, this guy, in the, in the world of the movie's release in 1982, he was supposed to be like a somewhat, maybe a little somewhat backwards and uh, has some reductive views on, on gender and stuff. Um, but he's supposed to generally be like a good guy that you sympathize with and yeah. feel for. I think the movie sort of almost still succeeds in that way. But a, some of his ranting about gender essentialism is just a little bit too gross for me to ever quite get there nowadays. Yeah, in, in 2024, if I saw someone on Twitter start a sentence with, I believe in women's equality, but yeah. I'm immediately blocking Block. them. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And in this in, in this conversation between Dorothy and, and Les, he's like, he's basically being like, hey, no offense, I understand the whole feminism thing, but... You know, women are women and men are men and they shouldn't try to be, you know, something in the middle. That's weird. And I'm like, can can we maybe walk this back five steps and, and Dorothy <laughs> in order for me to like this character at all? Yeah. Yeah. Dorothy doesn't really fight back here, but you can tell that Dorothy is is visibly... Uh, upset by this, yes. not sure how to react, and I think an by extension, yeah. I think Michael is. I think yes. Michael is starting to uh, really appreciate and understand the things that he's been saying as Dorothy. Yes, and I do think that that's that is exactly an important thing to note is that even though this last dialogue is problematic and was maybe my least favorite part of this entire movie, <laughs> um, I do think it's important to note that the movie does take a stance on what Les is saying. And the movie is very clearly not agreeing with him because you're right. Like the, you, you sh show the reactions from Dustin Hoffman and it's like, it's clear that Michael sort of doesn't agree with what Les is saying about like, you know, gender essentialism. And there are, there are intrinsic differences between men and women. And Dustin Hoffman's kind of like, Meh, right. And then um, uh, Dustin Hoffman goes to bed, which by the way, uh, uh, Michael as Dorothy and Julie are sharing a bed, <laughs> which is of course highly uncomfortable because uh, you know, Julie doesn't know that uh, Dustin Hoffman is a, a man. Um, and also, you know, Michael is attracted to her. But um, that aside for a second, um, when when uh, he goes to bed, um, uh, Julie's still awake. And the first thing Julie says is, daddy's a little out of touch, isn't he? 
which I think that's a very important. And then they kind of have a little conversation about it, basically saying like, you know, yeah, he's he's a little old fashioned. Um, his his views on uh, men and women are a little backwards. His views on gender are, are reductive. And um, and uh, I think that that is important that the movie includes that yes. because it lets you know, like, hey, we're including this viewpoint and you're supposed to sympathize with this character and think he's like a sweet guy. However, we don't agree, like, we don't agree that gender is like a simple binary that is like, um, must be conformed to and there's no like, you know, wiggle room when it comes to gender identity, which I'm like, okay, good on you movie from 1982 for at least making it clear that, that, um, you're not fully in the gender essentialist camp. Um, also just to, to leave that part of the conversation and transition back to just the awkwardness of the fact that Michael has to sleep in a bed with Julie. What's his morning wood plan exactly? You know, (laughs) is he having any sex dreams? (laughs) He's wearing a Does little... he talk in his sleep? Right? I was thinking about that too, where it's like, what if he talks in his sleep and he's like, yeah, it's me. <laughs> George, you got to get me more work. <laughs> I can't wear this dress anymore. <laughs> um, that'd be interesting if that's the direction this movie went. Um, but yeah, I was just thinking about the morning wood, especially because he's in like a little kind of like a uh, flowy, like night dress as, as Dorothy. Um, and I'm like, man, you'd be pitching a full tent in that thing. You got to get something restricting that. You got to tape it to your leg or some shit. Um, <laughs> Because I don't know about Michael Dorsey's situation, but the way I get morning wood, <laughs> it's, you're not going to be able to hide that shit. Um, it's Unless it's strapped down. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, yeah, they have a little conversation here, Julie and, and Dorothy. Um, talk about uh, Julie's childhood. She lost her mother when she was very young. It's all very sweet. It's also, to your point, maybe a little too long and also a little bit of a tonal departure from some of the other more comedic uh, movements of the movie. Um, I think it's like somewhat important that these characters connect in this way, but yeah. No, you're right. I think so too. Yeah, I think there there are two movies going on here and this is where it really uh, was, was apparent to me that... Um, the movie this started as wasn't the movie that it was going to continue to be, where right. I think the first half is is very much focused on Dustin Hoffman embracing Dorothy as a character and, you know, what that means for him as an actor, what that means for the the feminist messaging in the movie. And then it turns into the romantic comedy. Yeah. And I uh, the movie ends up, I think, being more of a romantic comedy than anything else. And that's where it loses me. Right. Because I think there's a really interesting idea here and a lot of interesting things that the movie could do with that initial premise that are eventually pushed aside to just be, it's a romantic comedy, but he's dressed up as a woman and he can't tell the woman that he's in love with, that he's a man. Yeah. And that uh, just just didn't work for me. Um, So the vacation's over. We're back on set. There's a meeting here where with the producer. Yeah. Um, and the producer says that, you know, Dorothy is really popular with the audience of the show, uh, despite all the clashes that she's had with the director. So they want to extend her contract. And now Michael uh, realizes that this is going, this has gone on too far. He needs to get out of this. He can't be Dorothy Michaels forever. Right, right. He can't play a woman on a soap opera 
until the 2010s or whenever this show inevitably gets canceled after its 40th season. <laughs> yes, and then he would have to come back for the reunion season that's direct to streaming. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the passing of the torch yes. season where it's now the kids are the main characters. <laughs> the critically panned season, yes. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so then, uh, yeah, Michael's basically talking to his agent, George, and he's like, you know, you got to get me out of this somehow. Um, George is basically like, I can't, you signed a standard contract. Like they are allowed to do this. Um, and Michael's like, I'll take this public. And George is like, uh, no, you won't because it'll ruin your career and also mine as your agent. Cause they're going to think I was in on this. Right. So Michael's feeling very stuck here. Um, and then, uh, um, to add to add uh, additional stress uh, to his life, um, Julie uh, is like, "Hey, uh, can I ask you for a favor?" Right, um, and uh, we learn that the favor is to watch her baby while she breaks up with Ron. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike, Michael goes over as Dorothy goes over to uh, to Julie's house, and then there's a very funny scene where Dustin Hoffman has to deal with the baby, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's your usual uh, you know foods getting thrown everywhere. Yes, the movie does turn into Mrs. Doubtfire for five minutes here. Um, <laughs> I I like the the. Uh, all of the stuff where he's like running around with the baby and, and like talking in the Dorothy voice and then switching to the, his deep Michael voice and being like, it's me, uncle Dorothy. Um, (laughs) There's also a really fun, yeah, he's uh, he's feeding the, the baby uh, like um, mashed apricots and the baby's like throwing them everywhere. And at one point, like in the Dorothy voice, uh, (laughs) he's just like, I don't like you, <laughs> which telling a baby, telling like an adorable tiny baby to its face that you don't like it is very funny to me. <laughs> um, so uh, later that night, uh, Dorothy is Dorothy. Michael has totally passed out, uh, fall, fall on the sleep on the floor mm. uh, while the baby's still playing. And uh, Julie comes back. And uh, Dorothy tries to kiss her. Yes. Yeah. Because they, so Julie has broken up with Ron and Julie is kind of in a low post breakup spot right now. Michael is, uh, he's, he gets caught up in the moment here. Um, I don't think it's like, I don't think he's being creepy or predatory or whatever, but it's definitely a moment where he's like, you know, maybe not intentionally taking advantage of her vulnerability, but like that's sort of the thing that is happening. And he also kind of forgets about the Dorothy thing for a second. Sure. Right. Um, yeah. And tries to, and tries to kiss her. And Julie reacts in a way that reminded me of Dirk Diggler's reaction to Scotty J kissing him in Boogie Nights in that it doesn't feel homophobic. Like, it's not like, Ick, you're a lady. Don't kiss me. I'm also a lady. It feels like I am very surprised. and. Um, like this was highly unexpected and I need time away from you to process this. And I don't feel this way. And I don't feel this way about you. Right. Um, but yeah. Yes. Unlike Mark Wahlberg, I don't know that Jessica Lange has a history of homophobic hate crimes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I would be surprised to learn that she did. I hope she doesn't. (laughs) That doesn't seem very much like Jessica Lange to me, but I don't know her personally. So I, Guess anything's possible. Wait, is it is is Mark? Was it Mark Wahlberg did racist hate crimes? He's racist. Did did anything homophobic? homophobic. 
I'm not sure. I don't know. We, um, I we, think suffice to say, if you do a racist hate crime, homophobic hate crimes, not out of the realm of possibility, whether they've been publicly disclosed or not. I'm just going to go ahead and say on record parody, by the way, parody satire. Mark Wahlberg has definitely done homophobic <laughs> hate crimes. Parody satire. <laughs> He's at least said the F slur once. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. So he grew up in like the 70s and 80s in Boston. He, he like said the F slur every third word, I guarantee. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Julie gets a call from her father. Right. And her father wants to take Dorothy out on a date. And, uh,. Dorothy goes along with it. Michael yes. goes along with it. Yes. They they go out to uh, a restaurant, and uh, this is this is Im- important to note here. Where uh, Dorothy initially says she doesn't want anything to drink, and then says, uh, "Actually, I'd like Scotch whiskey." <laughs> yes. And uh, they they get up and they dance, and they go back to the table, and. Uh, Les proposes to her and yes. has, a, has a wedding ring. And does not allow her to answer. He get, Like, she keeps being like, well, uh, Les, uh, you know, like, let's hold it. And he's like, no, don't say anything. He's like, just take the ring and think about it because then I'll at least know you took me seriously. And he, like, and he basically, like, you know, f- forces her to take the ring and not say no. <laughs> Which I was like, all right, dude. Like, I get that you're old-fashioned or whatever but like let's give this woman some agency <laughs> even though she's not a woman she is in fact dustin hoffman <laughs> um <laughs> so she she yeah. takes the ring and leaves and then uh takes a taxi back to uh back to the apartment and finds that john is standing outside the apartment yes yes so <laughs> john has arrived drunk Dorothy is just trying to go up into the apartment and John is like insisting to be invited up. Um, And it's immediately very pushy and gross. Um, And Dorothy's like, no, like get the fuck out of here. He also said he followed her home one night after shooting. Yes. Big, 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 big red flag. This man has a bunch of women's heads in his basement. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this man is a serial murderer um but yeah he uh so she goes up and goes into the apartment and then he starts fucking singing <laughs> i don't know and and she's like the whole you're gonna wake up the whole fucking street like just yeah. come up here just yeah. to shut him up and make him stop making a scene so john comes up and uh dorothy's like you can stay for one drink and then you got to get out of here and he immediately starts trying to like first kind of put the moves on her um but then straight up assault her like he's basically like i have to have you and i'll i'll take you either willingly or unwillingly is pretty much what he says yeah jeff walks in and once he walks in john immediately backs off yes because another man is present yes yep and um they don't you know dorothy and and jeff don't really pretend like they're they don't do anything like oh my husband's home or anything like that right uh john just now realizes that uh he's he's insulted another man right and uh, so he apolo- he's very apologetic towards Jeff. Yes. And he apologizes to Dorothy once. Yes. Right? He's basically like, I'm so sorry about this, Dorothy. But most of his attention is focused on Jeff. Yeah. Like, this is a thing that men do, right? Especially this type of man, right? Um, where it's like they view women as property and objects mm-hmm. of other men, right? And it's like, you can you can do whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. 
You can treat a woman however you want unless you're in the presence of a man who has like quote unquote ownership yeah. or like a claim on her, right? And it's like the movie does a really good job of showing how gross that is. Yeah. Right. Until until the man enters the picture, the the woman's autonomy and personal feelings on the matter don't don't matter at all. Right, right. And uh immediately after John Lee's Bill Murray uh delivers one of the great uh one of the great comedic moments of this movie uh, he just goes, you slut. <laughs> but he doesn't even, it's so much drier than that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a really deadpan, you slut. <laughs> which, which and, then, and then I love Dustin Hoffman's reaction to that line. Yeah. Which is, he, he is not in a laughing, like he's like, this is not funny, right? Um, and he, he even says like, rape is no laughing matter. Like that guy wanted me. Like if you hadn't come in, I would have been in big trouble, right? Um, and I love that he's not playing that as a joke, right? He's basically to Jeff being like, don't fucking joke about this. Like I was actually afraid, <laughs> right? And it's like, I also think that's an important position to put Michael in, right? Because it's like, if you're going to have him live uh, some of the the female experience, right? And that's sort of the point of the movie. You know, one of the things that women reckon with is feeling unsafe around men. Sure. And I think that it's like good that that moment is treated. Like there is the punchline of you slut, which like lifts some of the tension. But then also the movie is like, but also he does, he is shaken by this. Yeah. Uh, the movie does walk a good line in this scene and a couple of others where the there is comedic timing in place, yeah, and there's a a degree of comedy to the situation, but it's not played for comedy. It's yes. not played like a sitcom with a laugh track in the background where right the guy walks in on something he shouldn't have, right, and then we we have the the laugh track or the comedic moment or the punchline, yeah, like there's some comedy here, but it's played a lot more dramatically, and I think the movie does a good job. Of, of towing that line and yeah. finding that nuance in scenes like this. Yes. I also think the you slut joke is also partially, it's more about um, the fact that Jeff is also keenly aware that John was just being like a huge misogynistic weirdo and basically being like, hey, sorry if I like ste stepped on your turf, bro. Yeah. Right? Like Jeff saying you slut is it's like, the joke there is sort of like, that's what a guy like that would expect me to then say mm -hmm. as soon as he closes the door, right? He thinks I'm going to be mad at you because he was about to sexually assault you because that's how he would feel, right? Is I think part of the joke there. Um, so yeah. Yeah, Jeff does have a, a Don't Tread On Me poster in his bedroom, probably <laughs> appeared on the Joe Rogan podcast <laughs> at some point in his life, but he might be the least problematic man in the movie. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> That's a low bar in this picture, though. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, um, immediately after this, <laughs> Sandy shows up. And, and now, now we get a bit of the, the comedy from right. the, the situational comedy. It gets uh, a little slapstick here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where Michael runs into the bedroom <laughs> to change out. And jumps in this change change out of the Dorothy good get up jumps into the shower. I'm in the shower. I got soap in my eye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and uh, Bill Murray's trying to stall 
uh, Terry Gar from from getting in the getting into the apartment. And I like that when he lets her in, he's just like, "Oh, the door was open the whole time." Yes, I love one of the ways he's trying to stall her is he's pretending that he was just sleeping. Um, he's like, "Oh yeah, sorry, I was just like woke up from a nap." And he says, "I was having a dream. You were in my dream. You had, you had real big teeth, but you were still a nice person." Um, um, yeah, and so Michael comes out. He gives her this box of chocolates. Yes. That which Les gave her. That Les Les gave to Dorothy uh, earlier in the movie, and he gives her a box of chocolates. And and to to Terry Gar's credit, she's like, "Do you think this makes up for anything right. you've done?" Um, and she reads the note and sees that it was a, a note from Les written to Dorothy. Yeah. Um, and. And she's like, the, she, first, her first reaction is, these aren't for me. This is candy for another girl. And uh, he's like, no, like those were given to me. And she's like, a guy named Les is sending you candy? <laughs> um, and then she asks if he's gay. Yes. <laughs> because that's a, a logical question to ask if it's like, you're giving me a box of chocolates that was gifted to you by another man. And you've also been ghosting me since we slept together one time. Are you just not into women? <laughs> I think is a, va- a a valid question, probably. Um, and uh, and then um, Michael's like, okay, like you want the truth, I'm going to tell you the truth, uh, and says uh, that he's in love with another woman, which is of course true because he's in love with Julie. Um, and then Terry Gar, Terry motherfucking Gar has my favorite moment in this movie he says i'm in love with another woman and she immediately screams and yeah. stands up she's like ah what are you saying to me and then she has so many great lines here i love her uh i read the second sex i read the cinderella complex i'm responsible for my own orgasm i don't care i just don't don't appreciate being lied to um she also says one of my favorite lines there is nothing you can do i'm just gonna have to feel this way until i fe- don't feel this way anymore and you're gonna have to know that you're the one who made me feel this way <laughs> which i'm like Good fucking line and great delivery by Terry Gar. I just love this freak out. It's so good. And also he deserves it. Yeah, for sure. Every single thing she's saying to him, it's like, you deserve all of this because you have been such a piece of shit to her. And I love that she gets to say all this to his face. Yeah, the the imposter element of this movie, uh, it's, it's interesting. It is all the third act. And- in any other movie where, uh, you know, something like we were talking about this during Rango too, because this is a thing that kids films do a lot where mm. the character is revealed to be who they actually are, not who they've been pretending to be for this whole movie. That's normally like the end of the second act. And then the third act is them getting their redemption and trying to make up for it. Right. Michael's redemption arc happens after this movie. Right. It, his, everything unravels for him in the third act. Right. And uh, it's it's just left ambiguous as to, you know, where things go from here. Right. Because Terry Gar walks out of the movie at this point. She's not in the rest of this film. Yeah, we pretty much see her one more time. We see a reaction shot in the last episode of the soap opera. Sure. And that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I, I agree. This is a great scene. I I love the scream. I, the scream was so good that I almost didn't really pay attention to the rest of the monologue because it was such a good reaction to that. Yes, and I love the timing of it too because he barely has a chance to get the words out of his mouth. Like it's right on top of his line, which I think is so funny where he's like, I'm in love with another woman. Scream, like right there. It's so good. Um, so from here, Michael goes to meet with his agent and begs, just begs uh, begs him to get him out of the yeah, show. Like, you gotta get me out of this. Like I can't fucking do this anymore. Uh, we also have a scene where he, as Dorothy, brings a gift 
to Julie for Julie's daughter yes. as a way to make up and for the whole trying to kiss her thing. Yeah. And and Julie says that it's probably the best if they don't see each other anymore. So then yeah, then um what is happening next is that they have to shoot uh, an episode of Southwest General, which is the soap opera live. <laughs> oh, I, co- I didn't even know. I, I completely forgot the name of the show. The yes, whole, the Southwest whole. General. Southwest General. Um, yes. And it's a it's a big climactic. It, it, it seems like it's like a season finale or something. So like the whole cast is, is in this scene. And Dorothy, uh, as she is wont to do, goes off script. <laughs> it's essentially a really, really long monologue to explain what he's about to do, which he's, is he's going to take off his wig and his makeup and, and reveal that he's a man yes. to everyone. And it's this long, elaborate backstory that he just makes up that the character in the show is actually play, the brother of the real Emily Kimberly. Right. And he's impersonating his sister as a way to like pay tribute to her or something yes. like that. Yeah. It's very melodramatic and very soapy and very stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and and at the end, he, he, takes, he takes the costume off. Yes. I uh, am not Emily Kimberly. <laughs> And uh, they they yell cut, and uh, there's a footage of other characters watching the show. Yeah. So Terry Gar's watching the show, Bill Murray's watching the show, and uh, as soon as they cut, he goes, "That's one crazy hospital or something like that." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We also see Les watching it, um, and he's eating a sandwich, and he drops his sandwich, and then just uh, like puts his own fingers in his mouth, which I thought was funny. Yeah, <laughs> he's just so stunned. And then after the yell cut, Jessica Lang immediately walks over to Dustin Hoffman and punches him in the balls. Yes, I, which I love. Um, again, he deserves it. He's he's been a real rat bastard. <laughs> um, oh, and there's a, there's a great great line from John here where he's like, "Does Jeff know?" <laughs> I fucking I fucking love that line so much. <laughs> so yeah, so secrets out, and we get Michael uh, at a bar um, with with Les here. Before he goes to the bar, he's he pushes oh, a yes. mime over in Central Park. Yes, no, and yeah. just I don't like mimes, but it's, fuck. Fuck you, Michael Dorsey. <laughs> he's he's having a bad day. <laughs> and this, this, but also, he got himself into the situation, and that mime didn't do anything. This to mime's just trying to put on a show, and okay. Michael just pushes him over. And, Fuck and, that. As, and as much as I agree with you on that, it's also pretty fucking funny. It is. <laughs> I did laugh. <laughs> I, I do love him pushing the mime, o- yeah. mime over. But after he pushes the mime over, he goes to a bar. Um, he kind of takes a seat next to Les uh, here. I do like Les realizing who he is because uh, uh, Michael takes the stool next to him and Les kind of looks at him. And then uh, Les goes back to looking at the TV and then very slowly his face sort of shifts and he's like, wait a fucking second. <laughs> Hold on. I know that face. Um, and uh, yeah, Michael's returning the the ring. He's like, I, I think you might like to have this back. Um, they have a little chat where Les is basically like, why'd you do it? Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And Michael's like, I just wanted the work, you know, um, which is true. That's all he was ever in it for. Right. Yeah. Then Michael's basically like, hey, I think I'm in love with your daughter. Right. And Les is like, you fucking son of a bitch. <laughs> How dare you? Um, and then our final scene here, uh, uh, Michael is on the sidewalk outside the studio. Um, Julie is coming out and she's kind of like not super interested in, with, in, in engaging yeah, with him. She's, she's still, a little mad at him She's still. pretty dismissive of him yeah. for this, for this uh, sequence. Um, and he, he asks to call her, if he can call her sometime. And says that he really didn't mean to hurt anyone. Yeah. Um, and she says, I miss Dorothy. Mm-hmm. 
and that's she, she I, that's a good that's a good moment where she really like thought she had a friendship and a connection with someone and yeah it was it was all a lie basically and you really feel for her in this moment i actually like michael's uh response to that as well where he says you don't have to she's right here and she misses you and i like i like that i, I this ending scene is not my favorite because it is more of the the conclusion to the rom-com story <laughs> like we've been talking about versus the more interesting story which is kind of michael um, and his relationship to women and also his relationship to himself. But I do think that moment is more looped into into the more interesting parts of the movie, right? Where he he basically is like, you know, no, like I am I am also Dorothy, right? Dorothy is what was me the whole time, right? And he basically he re, he realizes here that the the parts of her, that people, you know, liked and, and admired and the parts that Julie connected to, um, you know, that those things which came from a place of him sort of like performing uh, femininity and like, uh, you know, performing the uh, womanhood, right? Um, were in him the whole time and are still in him, even though he's not the character anymore, yeah. right? And I think that there's some good stuff about deconstructing your own gender that you can pull from that. Right. Um, and I think that's summed up in in the line that he has, um, which is, I was a better man with you as a woman than I ever was with a woman as a man. Yeah. Right. There's a little bit of, it's kind of nuanced and kind of subtle. And I think too much of it is couched in the romantic comedy aspect of the film. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, where it, it almost comes across like he's like, hey, why don't you give me a second chance? I, I do find it interesting that it, it leaves leaves it ambiguous and there is a bit of bit of hope that he's learned something from this experience. Yeah. Um, and they, they go off and they walk walk together through the streets. Yeah. Uh, we end with another joke where she says, uh, can I borrow that that yellow outfit? Yeah. And he, he said, oh no, you're going to ruin it. And she says, well, what are you going to use it for now? Yeah. Uh, and then we have the credits. Roll. I love him saying, you'll spill wine all over it. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've seen her drink so much wine in this movie. That's Tootsie, baby. That's Tootsie. Justice. Yeah. Is Tootsie the greatest movie ever made? Um, David, uh, we have talked extensively about this movie, so I'm not going to like rehash too many of the points that we've already made. Um, but overall, you know, I think that the gender politics of this thing, um, you know, they're dated. Uh, they're maybe a little overly simplistic. Um, some of the the jokes are problematic at times. Um, I do think the ultimate like overall message of this thing, um, which, like I said, is kind of like deconstructing your your own relationship with your own gender identity. Um, it, it can help enable like greater empathy with other people, um, especially people who identify differently than you. I think some of that stuff is in here and still kind of is relevant and rings true today. Um, so despite some of the problems that this movie has, I think that that's something that it has going for it. Um, I also think the comedy mostly holds up. It's hilarious. There's also a lot of great performances in this thing. Uh, it's not the greatest movie ever made, um, but one that I enjoyed revisiting. David, is Tootsie the greatest movie ever made? Nope. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I, I liked this movie. I, it was, I thought it was really charming and enjoyable at the beginning. I wish it had sustained that for the rest of the two hours because once the romantic comedy elements started taking center stage, I was really losing, uh, I was losing my connection with this, this film. Um, I think it's a testament to Hoffman's performance as an actor and 
Sidney Pollock's direction, that the movie never falls back on anything that, that comes across as very explicitly homophobic or transphobic or dated uh, or misogynistic. Uh, but there are definitely dated aspects to this story and its themes and commentary. And I wish that, I think if we had had a more, a movie that was more focused on the character's identity, um, I think there would have been a, that would have been a better breeding ground for those types of themes to develop. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I kind of wish that's kind of why I like that first half because it is so focused on that stuff. Yeah. Um, but Hoffman's great. Uh, Jessica Lang, I think, does a, does a fine job. Bill Murray's great. Terry Garr is great. Um, the other actors playing uh, the, the men in the movie, I, I don't remember all their names. Yeah, D- but Dabney Coleman plays Ron. I think he does a great job as a scumbag. Yeah. Um, we already mentioned, but Sidney Pollack, again, is Sidney Pollack's that he's fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. One, of the, one of the better actors in this film. Uh, and... Gina Davis, she's not in the movie much. But she's not in the movie much, but she's great as well. Yeah. Um, and this was her first role, and she does a she does a great job. Um, so I I did enjoy this. Uh, I did not think it was. I did not love it, um, but I had a decent enough time with it. And I think there's I think there's stuff to talk about here and stuff to unpack that we as uh, cisgendered white men. Um, didn't really dig dig deep enough into but i think there's plenty here for uh people who have different experiences than ours to talk about and chew on and discuss and debate and critique so um uh no not the greatest movie ever made but i thought it was all right yeah yeah i i feel like uh i'm in a i'm in a similar position on it maybe liked it a little bit better than you because i have a nostalgic attachment to it but i think we're we're on similar ground on this one. I should also just set the record straight before we get out of here. Yeah. Dustin Hoffman as Dorothy Michaels. Yeah. Would. Yeah. Would do it. Yeah. Uh, Dorothy, she's a pretty lady. She's, she's looking pretty good. She's a pretty lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, David. Next week, we're talking about our first science fiction film. Yep. Snowpiercer from 2013, directed it by Bong Joon-ho. Is Apocalypse on a Train. Uh, yeah. Um, I've Class seen, disparity. I've seen this once. I don't remember if it was before or after I saw Parasite, but this and Parasite are the only Bong Joon-ho films that I've seen. So, interested to go back to this. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to revisit it as well. I've also only seen it once. So, we hope that you will join us for that post-apocalyptic snow train ride. Um, in the meantime, please tweet about the show, review the show, spread the word about the show. We appreciate it so much. And uh, we will see you next week. Until then, later, dipshits. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Greatest Movie Ever Made. Please remember to leave us a rating and a review and to subscribe to the show wherever you listen. We appreciate you supporting the show and spreading the word. Tell your friends to listen. Tell your enemies to listen. Tell your mom to listen. If your neighbor has an unsecured Bluetooth speaker, connect to it and play an episode. You can follow us on social media at TGMEM underscore podcast. And if you've got a movie that you want us to talk about, send us an email at thegreatestmoviepodcast at gmail.com.